Today on Investing in the American Dream podcast, we have featured guest Ramin Asgard. Ramin is the foreign, former foreign political advisor to General Petraeus and currently the senior vice president for global business development with First Pathway Partners, a U.S.-based investment and global services firm. He's also a national security thought leader, attorney, business development, and entrepreneur expert based in Manhattan and globally. His work is focused on global market access and analysis, national security matters, and government relations. Previously, Mr. Asgard is a highly decorated veteran U.S. Foreign Service officer with the Department of State. Today, Mr. Asgard will be speaking on COVID-19's impact on global migration and the opportunity to review uh, current EB-5 and E-2 options. Let's get into it. Ramin, thank you so much for joining us today. I hear you're joining us from Dubai. Yes, that's right. Hi, Jess. Nice to Hi. see you. Hi. Thank you. Um, well, we appreciate your time today and, and covering some of the topics surrounding uh, global migration and, and COVID-19. Um, but I think one of the first things, um, you know, just to address is um, in the case of the U.S., um, with the recently uh, announced 60-day immigration ban, how is that impacting EB-5 and E-2 investment programs? And is the U.S. still processing um, applications, even though most of the country is on lockdown and uh, most U.S. embassies and consulates uh, abroad remain closed? Yeah, Jess, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, obviously, COVID has a whole range of challenges that have affected not just the United States, but every country around the world. Um, U.S. is obviously a country that has a huge amount of um, immigration and travel that happens. So uh, the response to COVID has been pretty comprehensive. Um, when uh, President Trump announced um, that there would be a, a, a ban for 60 days uh, on, on immigration, uh, he, he made clear that what the ban was about was that um, the U.S. economy should come first doing what he can for U.S. workers should be a priority. And so that ban was not, um, was not really related to shutting down EB-5 and shutting down E-2 because EB-5 and E-2 are uh, immigration programs that, without any doubt, create jobs and create investment in the United States. So pretty soon after the initial news broke of that, of that 60-day um, uh, uh, stop on immigration, it uh, was announced that it does not affect EB-5 uh, and it does not affect E-2. Uh, so uh, the good news is that, um, that the, well, there's a lot of good news there. One is that, you know, the U.S. economy, there's some people looking out for uh, workers in the U.S. economy and making sure that they're able to get back to work and not have, you know, any delays in getting back to work. That's terrific. But also is terrific is that, a great program like EB-5 and another program for investment, E-2, are not affected. It's it's really only limited to uh, slowing down some immigration programs that have to do with employment so that when uh, the economy does get started back up again, uh, the first priority will be getting people back to work who are in the United States, not necessarily immigrants who are just getting to the United States. So that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was a lot of you know <laughs> uh, uh, commentary on it. So it could get confusing, but that was what it was about. As far as 
you know, how quickly uh, E2 and EB5 are going to be processed. E2 is slowed down by the fact that the embassies and consulates where E2 visas uh, are done are currently uh, closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, they're not really uh, doing E2 interviews at, at this moment. Um, that's still not clear exactly when they're going to reopen, but, you know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be too long. Um, and E2s only take a few months in, in any case. So uh, there might be a slight delay there. With EB-5s, there are some backlogs, yes, but there, there have been backlogs for some time before COVID. So um, hopefully what will happen is that when folks get back to work in full, some of those backlogs will be addressed and we'll, we'll get to move forward with EB-5. But as far as taking on new EB-5, new E2 cases, it's, it's uh, uh, business as usual. Great. Um, you know, you mentioned COVID-19. What broad changes can we expect for global migration, particularly uh, with high net worth individuals making investments in residency and citizenship by investment programs as a result of COVID-19? Yeah, that's a very good uh, question. Um, you know, uh, there's been some different changes uh, as far as what people expect from um global migration. Uh, before, there, were, there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, trying to find uh, the cheapest solution or uh, the solution which had a, a good number of countries that had visa-free travel. You know, in other words, you get this country's passport, you'll be able to travel without getting another visa to, I don't know, 120, 140, whatever the case may be, additional countries. Mm-hmm. Well, with COVID, what we saw was, you know, a lot of that stuff is good in normal conditions, but in a crisis, a lot of countries just shut down their, their borders. A lot of countries didn't allow visa-free travel. A lot of countries didn't allow visa on entry, which is the other kind of, you know, thing that's, that's a big deal. So some of the, some of the uh, uh, preferences have changed. For example, um, people want to know that, um, you know, if they uh, have to relocate in a crisis, that there's, there's, a, there's a place they can go. Right. There's, um, there's a country that has the resources to be able to do things like look after their citizens in another country. Uh, they want to be able to know that, for example, you know, I want to be able to get, when, uh, me being an intending migrant for investment, I want to be able to get health insurance. I want to be able to get decent health care uh, in the place that I'm going. Uh, and that's a bigger factor than it might have been, you know, before. And um, I think a, a lot of the countries uh, that that uh, dealt with uh, uh, COVID in different ways took different measures to try to address uh, uh, the, this pandemic. And, you know, people around the world noticed and they, they and they and they think, well, you know, if I'm going to become a citizen of that country and I want to maybe relocate to that country, um, did they do a good job? Is that a country where I'm going to feel comfortable if there's another crisis? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to feel comfortable there. So people are asking questions about health care. People are asking questions about, you know, citizen services overseas. Uh, people are asking questions about, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to arrange a repatriation flight. Those were never things that people thought of before. So there, there was this thing between virtual citizenship and functional, like real, tangible citizenship. 
And a lot of folks opted for virtual citizenship, countries where, you know, there really were, wasn't a realistic prospect that they would ever relocate their family. This was about having a passport that allowed them to travel. Now it's kind of geared towards a little bit more those countries that people can actually move to, uh, people can actually um, get health care from, that they can actually call on the embassy of that country in another country. And, you know, if they get into a difficult situation, they might be able to help them out. So those are some considerations that weren't in place before. And, um, you know, it's the thing about it is um, it's not clear yet as we sit here today, uh, you know, almost uh, here at the uh, end of April, um, whether or not this is going to go on for another month or it's mm-hmm. going to go on for, you know, a couple cycles of this coming back at us. So, you know, people are kind of taking these considerations in a little bit longer term and when, when they make their decisions. So um, it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's a different set of questions mm-hmm. that they're asking when they're looking at this. And God, you know, they... They have a lot of time on their hands to reflect on <laughs> whether or not it makes sense for them to relocate. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's something they look at. You know, you bring up a good point regarding mar- migration preferences and, and if some of that has changed. Um, you know, in your opinion, does the U.S. still remain the, the top immigration destination worldwide post-COVID-19? You know, that's a very good point. Um, I think I think that First, people realized that uh, COVID re- reached everywhere. I mean, okay, there were a couple isolated islands here and there where there were no cases, but it pretty much reached every major country. And so, um, you know, when it, it is level like that and it, it affects everyone, all the different factors why people might want to come to the United States still apply. And uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, for some of the countries where um, – you know, uh, people uh, uh, relocate due to um, higher education. U.S. is still number one. If they're relocating uh, for economic opportunity and range of different types of business opportunities, the U.S. is still number one. If they're um, relocating for, you know, they're they're an innovator, they're an entrepreneur, and they want to make sure that their intellectual property is protected, U.S. is still number one. Um, there are other countries that have, you know, made some inroads in being attractive and have some innovative programs as well. So the U.S. isn't the only option. It's still the, it's still the first choice of many, many people. And um, uh, COVID has, I don't think, it done anything to damage that. I do think that it will be important uh, for a lot of people. Like we said, those questions that they asked before, mm-hmm. um, you know, is the U.S. going to be uh, a country that, uh, takes care of people if there's a problem. Yes, they are. Is 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 the U.S. self-sufficient for food? You know, is it, if there's a food issue, if there's a supply issue. Yes, it is. So the U.S. is capable of responding to the crisis. The U.S. has the best higher education. The U.S. has the best scope of economic opportunity. All that is the same, has not changed with COVID. So I think the U.S. remains in, in a wonderful, uh, you know, position um, however, uh, there are other countries out there now that people look at. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we shouldn't get complacent. Uh, right. The United States not think, well, everybody's going to come to the United States, so we don't have to really worry too bad, too much about how we treat uh, recent folks who come to the United States. The United States has had immigrants from its inception, and it is important that immigrants feel welcome here 
and, and continue to feel welcome here. And I think we're, we're, we're doing that. I think, um, you know, more work remains to be done. But I think people in general feel that uh, U.S. Uh, still has a top spot, even, even after some of the challenges with COVID. Right. You know, and we talked a little bit about citizenship by investment programs. Um, is it true that some citizenship by investment providers will offer discounts or quicker processing times, um, sort of incentives to encourage investors to choose their country over the U.S.? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And by the way, the U.S. also could conceivably. Uh, uh, I, I listen to your podcast with Mr. Kraft, uh, Bob Kraft, uh, uh, and you know there there was uh, there was speculation that the U.S. is actually going to offer some mm-hmm. you know re- reduced uh, uh, minimum investment amounts, maybe have more visas available, and and so on. Now, there's two different things. One is. Uh, what these countries are going to do for the economic stimulus benefit of these programs. So these, uh, again, Mr. Kraft alluded to it back in 2008 after the, uh, you know, there was a real estate bubble that burst and there was a, a crisis with derivatives and all kinds of things that were going on. And one of the ways that capital was brought into a very shaky system at that point was through the EB-5 program. Well, if, um, uh, immigration is used as a way to bring new uh, uh, investment into the United States or, for that matter, into other countries, then that's bringing investment from outside uh, in and helping the economy get back on its feet after a hard time. So from an economic stimulus standpoint, yeah, I think that countries, especially countries where um, the citizenship by investment programs is a big part of their revenue uh, package. I mean, the United States is a little tiny slice, what EB, EB-5 produces each year uh, out of a huge economy. But some of these smaller countries, it's a big piece of, you know, their their mm-hmm. uh, their uh, foreign uh, uh, exchange and reserves. I mean, they get a lot of money out of these programs and a lot of investment into their country. So uh, absolutely. I think I think that countries will look at it as economic stimulus and bring in money through these mechanisms. I think the countries where it's a big chunk of the revenue they bring in will have a bigger incentive to do so. And I think because there's competition, they'll probably do things like offer incentives. Some of the Caribbean countries have been talking about offering incentives, offering faster processing, um, uh, perhaps reducing their minimum uh, amounts that that they're charging, uh, perhaps working together uh, collectively to help sustain their, uh, uh, you know, programs. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's you know. That's uh, likely uh, more likely than not to actually happen because these programs have been, uh, ama- uh, you know, amazing revenue earners. Not just for those small countries in the Caribbean, but even countries, larger countries, uh, you know, EU countries uh, benefit from these. So I do think you'll start to see things like. Uh, uh, incentives and um, discounts, uh, expedited processing, and um, again, from from a perspective of marketing, it's a competitive marketplace. And mm-hmm. once once COVID is you know uh, over with, uh, uh, people are going to be looking at all of these different things, and they'll have time to reflect on all of them. And it's important if you've answered some of these new questions that have come up. And it's also important if you can, you know, uh, offer a good deal. And some of the 
some of the countries may really get into you know competition over who can who can get those um, those uh, customers that come online after COVID and after people start uh, migrating again. You know, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you talked about incentives. Um, but in your opinion, do you think there's going to be some um, kind of new world order um, as as experts have predicted, um, particularly for global globalization and, and governments after COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's there is there's a speculation that, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to be in place as far as travel, as far as, um, you know, how governments uh, 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 effectively uh, manage their 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 citizens or public health. Uh, there's lots of talk about how the office and the workplace will change permanently, and then a lot of people will, you know, no longer, uh, you know, come into to, to actually physical work locations. Um, you know, I, I think maybe some of that may be, uh, may, you know, this crisis can lead to, you know, us uh, discovering a lot of things about ways to work efficiently uh, with a lot of uh, limitations. But I, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that um, – you know, people have realized is that it really is important if different if, if countries are kind of sharing information and cooperating. Um, you know, it's it's a connected world one way or another. I don't think that there's going to be a shift in people wanting to travel, people wanting to do business internationally, and so on. I do think that you know there this this may have you know created a situation where. Um, you know, the density, like this is another question that people have started asking when they're looking at quality of life. What's the population density in the in the country or the city that I want to move into? Uh, that was something nobody ever cared about before. <laughs> it was, and, and, you know, what people thought about in office settings and work in, in living quarters and in neighborhoods was, you know, how many, uh, uh, you know, uh, units, uh, uh, employees, uh, uh, offices can we pack into this space now there's a little bit more of this need to kind of give people room uh, I don't know I, it's hard to say whether those kinds of things will have lasting effects I do think that you know um, the the um, it's probably too early yet to tell how we're going to come out of this COVID thing and, and how we're going to get back to you know normal with travel we're going to get back to normal with tourism and and and, and migration. The hope is that um, you know it will return to a, a point where people people do have um, an interest in um, moving around, exploring, living in other places, and so on. Um, we'll have to let's put that let's put that question partly on hold and partly <laughs> on. Uh, only because there's still to, remains to be seen how we get out of this, and right. partly to to say you know let's not overreact. I mean this is a this has been a bit unprecedented, but on the other hand, I think we've learned a lot of good things, and I think there have been a lot of silver linings about this. And so um, you know it might not necessarily be a bad bad uh, aftermath um, that we've we've been obliged to kind of you know reflect, get to yeah. know you know what's important, and strip away a lot of you know, non-essential elements of, um, you know, uh, things. And maybe it'll make us more efficient, you know, as governments. Um, but I do hope very much uh, that it doesn't lead to something where travel bans, very strict limitations on, you know, people being able to 
come into a country and so on. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to be very good for, for uh, certainly not for tourism. It's not going to be good for, for academia. It's not going to be good for a lot of things. Um, so hopefully, um, you know, we, we do return to some level of normalcy and we'll, we'll put it, we'll put, let's take that up on another later, uh, as to whether it's going to have a long-term impact on global governance or, um, or, um, something like, you know, new world order comes into effect. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and you kind of mentioned right now sort of being a good time to reflect and sort of considering um, different things now with when um, choosing citizenship by investment programs or different types of residency. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, how can those interested in migration to the U.S. for themselves or their families learn more about EB-5 and E-2 investment programs while in quarantine? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a very good uh, question. You know, it's not easy to get uh, uh, reliable information on some of these programs because one of the things that does happen sometimes is when you get the information, it's either too technical or it's uh, limited. In other words, you get a little slice of it, but you don't know what you don't know. Anytime you go into an area which is um, as big a topic as global migration and citizenship programs, Gosh, it's really hard to know. So, um, you know, w- what we've done at First Pathway is we've decided that, hey, we owe it to our, our clients and our, our existing clients, our prospective clients, to keep them well informed. And so um, this podcast uh, that, that's being done here, uh, uh, I think, is a terrific step, Jessica. You know, it's uh, also we do, uh, you know, webinars and other information channels with People having time to actually slow down enough to actually listen to a podcast or even while they're doing something else, listen, tune in or listen to a webinar and ask questions. I mean, if, look, you have a choice. You can go ask questions from U.S. government. Uh, that'll you'll be on hold for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you may or may not get a question that's not just, you know, a boilerplate response. I mean, it would be great if they could give customized answers to everybody who calls in, but it's just not now anyway. Could they do it? You have so you're gonna you're gonna take a lot of time, and you're probably gonna get a boilerplate general response. You could ask an immigration attorney. Again, I'm sure they want to help and they want to be uh, affected. The challenge with that is that's going to be expensive. You're going to need to make an appointment, and you may or may not be able to. You know, you may not be ready to talk about all these, you know, different things that an immigration attorney would, would require for you to talk about. And keep in mind, with an immigration attorney, and I have a lot of respect for immigration attorneys, um, they're only going to talk to you about one country. All right? I mean, if, if a solution for you may, may be, hey, let's get a, a citizenship somewhere else, they're not admitted to those jurisdictions. So they're only going to look at what they can do that can help you. No attorney is going to say, hey, you know what? You'd be better off getting up, leaving this office, and going somewhere else <laughs> and talking to somebody about another country. They're not going to do that. So what we do at First Pathway is, look, we know people have a tough decision on something like relocating their family. I mean, that's like a life decision. That's going to change every aspect of their life. So uh, what we want to do is give as much information as possible uh, to, to people so that they can make an informed decision. And um, it may not 
wind up being their best solution to work with us, at least not right now. But um, now they have the time to really listen. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can certainly um, tune into this podcast and subscribe. You can tune into, we have webinars. And in general, we have a very knowledgeable group of people that's more than happy to respond to inquiries. And if we don't know the answer, we'll point you in the direction where you'll find it. But if you're, if you're one of those people that likes to investigate on your own and learn on your own, uh, you know, there's nothing better than um, podcasts, webinars, white papers, those kinds of things to, to learn about a topic. Discover what, what, you, what you need to know. And then um, you go in. What, whatever you decide to do, you're better informed. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you have a range of options you're considering as opposed to you go on and do an Internet search and you find out, you know, a bunch of things that are on the Internet that may not be the best for you. It may just be who, who has the flashiest, shiniest, uh, you know, uh, uh, landing page. And that right. shouldn't be how you decide how you decide the future of your family um, and for generations to come. It should be somebody who's giving you information. And look, if you're the kind of person that's able to relocate your family, you're the kind of person who's capable enough to make a decision if you've got all the available information at your fingertips. That's what we're trying to give people. We're trying to give people a range of information so that they can make their make their decision about what they want to do. It's easy to do when you're in quarantine because <laughs> what, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, you have access to, you know, I, thank God you have access to at least the Internet and right. uh, you can you can listen to these programs. So um, that's that's what we've done. That's meant as a service to um, our, our, our clients and our prospective clients and to the global citizen out at large that. Uh, uh, you know, Mr. Kraft and, and, and First Pathway uh, work with on a daily basis so that they can get the information they need to make the best decision uh, for themselves and their family. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ramin, for your time today and, and your insight and all of the information you've shared with us today. Um, I think that's about it for the podcast today. And, and thank you again for joining us from Dubai. Thanks so much, Jessica. Thanks for uh, joining, uh, for, for doing this. Uh, for uh, bringing me on board to uh, talk uh, this over. Hopefully, uh, you know, we get through this COVID and we have, uh, you know, uh, uh, more regular uh, uh, meetings and such that people can do. But for the time being, you know, take advantage of this time uh, when you're uh, in, in quarantine to listen. Listen to Jessica. This is some super informative stuff. And uh, we're really, re- really pleased to bring it to you. Thanks. Thanks for your closing thoughts. If you would like to know more about First Pathway Partners and how they can help you with a direct EB-5 investment, or if you're looking for other visa opportunities such as an E-2 visa, please contact them directly online at www.firstpathway.com.